You are now listening to FemRegard Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Mmm, Fem. Hey listeners, want to start your own podcast? Let us tell you our favorite tool. Anchor is the one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. Here's why. Anchor lets you record and edit your show right from your phone or computer. So no matter your setup, you can start creating right now. Then it distributes your show to the most popular listening platforms like Apple and Spotify. Plus, it's the only place you can send video content to Spotify. Creators can even earn money on Anchor with ads and subscriptions. Best of all, it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, fam fam. Are you guys loving this season so far? Because, like, we've got a lot more exciting guests for you, too. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys. I'm I'm super pumped for this season. And um, I love that we're just getting new and different kind of guests from different, different parts of the industry. And, like, mm-hmm. today, what an amazing guest to have to really pick the game, brain of. Um, who do we have, girl? Yeah, so today we have Alex Wiggins. He is a screenplay analyst for Coverfly and a coordinator at Concourse Media, which is a sales agency. And I actually met Alex virtually because he is a fellow alumni of Washington and Jefferson College. We didn't go to school together. He was a little bit after me, but Dr. Marish, shout out, uh, connected us. So that was really awesome because as soon as I found out what he did, I was like, okay, wow, we need to meet you like professionally for our purposes, but also like you need to come on the show and tell our listeners about what you do. And it's been like this episode, I know we learned a lot and it's going to be super helpful for us for our upcoming project. So I think you guys are going to benefit from learning this stuff too, because if anybody listening is a professional filmmaker, that's, you know, you, you don't know the whole distribution stuff yet. Like this is a, a very helpful episode for you guys. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. Yeah. I, we talk about where you're, what to do with a completed script and how to present it to sales agencies or where you can even have people review it. It's going to be super beneficial, I think, for anyone who's looking at those next steps, just like we are. So yes, yeah, selfishly, we ask a lot of questions, but I hope you guys um, get those takeaways that we got from it because, oh, wow, it's a good one. It's a good one. Awesome. Well, yeah, let's, I mean, let's get right into it. Um, And I would just like to hear like, so since college, did you do the internship while you were at in school or was that after? It was just after okay. I had applied to it while I was in school because technically that was one of the requirements that while you at least applied, but they contacted me a year or so after I had graduated and I wasn't ever expecting to hear back from these people. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a year or two after wow that like that's wild it was the one of the most shocking things that's ever happened (laughs) I was ready to not really give up on doing film stuff but I was so frustrated at that point with you know kind of a lack of momentum going on in my acting and writing career Mm -hmm. like I was doing it 
you know, on the side while I was working an office job. And I still loved writing and all that. But it was that point where you're just like, all right, when is this going to happen? Right. We have definitely struggled through that for sure. I mean, I think anyone pursuing any artistic career like goes through that at some point and it's just whether or not you keep going, you know, but that's such a cool thing to hear. Like, I mean, that that's like, you know, auditioning for something and never hearing back and then getting a call back like months later. It's like, what? Really? This is happening? Okay. You know, like that's such a cool (laughs) feeling. So let tell us then about the internship and, and how that kind of got you started. I interned for the company I work with now, Concourse Media. We are a sales agent slash film producer. And basically what that means is we can produce our own movies and raise funding for them. Or we can take other projects that are still in developmental stages, like if there's a script, director is attached, they have some funding, maybe we can source additional funding Mm. from private investors. That's very nice. Very nice. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's what people say sometimes. (laughs) Well, because it it takes a lot. I mean, I'm learning more doing a bunch of been producing some micro budget films this past year. And you just see how money just goes like, like that for like any given thing. And it just keeps me the forefront that you can do a lot with a little that is possible but it's just nice to have more just for those like you know emergency cases like you want to be really smart but the cushion having a cushion is is really vital because you will go into the cushion like nine times out of ten you know definitely you definitely cannot have too much money yeah (laughs) yeah Hmm. (laughs) no that's really amazing and then the sales uh, agency part, just to reiterate that to listeners who might not even be familiar with what a sales agent does or agency does for filmmakers. Right. A sales agent is basically a third party who connects the producers and whoever is working on the film and has a completed project. We put that in front of a distributor mm-hmm. and ensure that you get the best bang for your buck or whatever deals you're going to be making to get your movie put out into theaters and streaming platforms and all that good stuff. Yeah. And it sounds to me like it's a pretty vital part of the process. You know, I mean, I I know a lot of people that self-distribute their own stuff or they've made relationships with distributors and they don't need to go through a sales rep or a sales agent, but like, if you don't already have that established, you know, relationship or audience, like it is so vital to get you that connection, to bridge that gap because it's not easy. (laughs) And they, you know, a sales rep knows what they're doing and you usually don't if you're at that point in your career. So yeah, it's a very important piece of the puzzle. We have helped a lot of independent films get their foot in the door and that we continue to have working relationships with. You know, it's like you said, once you get that connection, you might not need a sales rep every single time, Mm -hmm. but depending on your project and what you're trying to accomplish, sales rep can get you 
money for your film all across the board instead, you know, better, instead of you taking like the first deal you can find, we will sometimes say, no, that's not good enough. We think we can do better by, for example, selling your film territory by territory across the world, mm -hmm. which might take a little bit longer, but it, the money speaks for itself there. Yeah. And I think that that's some, huge. That's something too that um, <laughs> a lot of non-filmmakers who are interested in the process but don't you know don't have the experience themselves don't really realize is things like global sales and foreign market sales and all that kind of stuff is like I know the importance of it but I have no idea the market for it you know what I mean and that's something that again you like really need a sales agent to help you figure out because it's it's tough to know those things. And so that's a lot of research to do, but it is a really important part of it. It's a really good way to make your film make some money. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I'm not a complete expert at this. I've just been doing it a little bit here and there. Mm -hmm. But uh, my boss, he knows like right off the back of his hand, if this movie will make money in this territory, just based on the genre, the cast, and all those variables. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to, you don't want to go in blind doing right. something like that. You want to have someone who's been doing this for years and has experience selling movies all around the world and knows what works where, just based off genre, you know, project budget and stuff like that. Yeah. I have a question. At yeah. what point does an independent filmmaker try to approach a sales agency? Is it um, always after the whole film has been produced and, and packaged and ready to really like market to a sales agent to like have, have that relationship come about? Because I know also like sales agencies also have to accept those films and see that they're valuable um, for all those different markets. It can be at any stage of development, really. Uh, mm. If the finished project is, uh, you know, it's done and it's a finished project, at that point, it's about the, the quality of the film more or less than what people are saying that they can bring to the table of an unfinished project. Mm -hmm. No, and that's like a huge um, distinction or at least an opportunity to think about how you want to go about it. Because like the something that I think Tess and I are still trying to get a better hold on is, um, you know, wanting to get the, and go the, the investor route for funding. And so how do we numerically know what we can produce numbers wise in sales at the end of it? Right. And I just feel like I kind of would love to have a handle of that before we even finish the film to really know, like have a strategic plan for distribution. You know what I mean? And so I just feel like, yeah, is it, is it just trying to come to pitch to a sales agency even beforehand is an option for us? It definitely is. Like uh, right now, I'm talking to people on both sides of that spectrum, mm -hmm. people who have a finished product and people who have a screenplay and they have a director attached and a pitch deck. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that is really good to know because it's like you said, Carolina, it's hard sometimes to 
be able to like give numbers to investors of what they can expect, especially if you are a brand new filmmaker, you know, maybe you've made some shorts or whatever, like you can show your work, but you can't necessarily show how successful it could possibly be because you've never made a feature before, you know? So yeah, having that relationship early on in that developmental stage seems very beneficial to me. And I guess it's a, it depends too of, you know, where your level of experience is. If you have made more films, if you have those relationships, maybe you can wait until it's finished and then just go find a sales rep. So it all just depends, I guess, where you're at. But it's, it's nice to know that that's an option. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You can uh, take whatever you have and reach out to people. And if the script is good and if there's financing behind it, those are, I find, the most attractive features of something that we get that isn't completed yet. Mm -hmm. You know, just show us the numbers that you have and the projects. And maybe if you have one or two, you know, somewhat experienced people attached that even if they're not a big name, if they've even directed an episode of like a big ABC show or something like that, or the, the special effects person on such a show, mm -hmm. Know, that that stuff all looks really good and you want to brag as much as you possibly can in like a pitch deck and then send it over yeah that's a good reminder for our listeners like don't be humble <laughs> when you're pitching oh. like it's literally a brag session <laughs> so that's entirely what it is it's like you're it's not like a game of poker. I was You're just going to say, you got to show all your cards. I literally was going to do a poker analogy because it's, it's like, why would you, you know, you're not this, these are the people that need to know the infrastructure and, and the, like what you, what talent you're bringing in, you know, that goes across board from actors to your team, your production mm -hmm. team. So always, always, yeah. Like name all the credits. <laughs> well, name all the juice. Like, I love that you said that. That is exactly what I was thinking. Like, why would you want to do that? All that does, if you don't, you know, put all your cards on the table, that just slows the process down and maybe mm -hmm. ensures maybe lessens the chance that someone will get back to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I know Carolina and I were just involved in a pitching competition, um, which we haven't heard the results of yet. But uh, for us, it was tough because, you know, there's several teams involved in this. So we got like a very strict, small time window to present the pitch for. And there were so many things that we wanted to say. And of course, you know, you, you do still want to keep your pitch concise and you don't just want to ramble on. But it was so hard to fit it in that like few minute window because we did have a lot of things to brag about for our film. We were excited about it. So, it, you know, it's a, a reminder, I guess, for us and listeners, like you do want to keep it short and sweet, but like, don't be afraid to brag, like say all the cool things you want to say, like, you know, they're not going to have that three minute timer. So, <laughs> you know, brag, take your time and, and do it right. Absolutely. And that, that's what I try to help all of the people that I'm putting in front of my boss to like, uh, there was this one guy I met at Sundance a couple years ago, and he had a script and he was a very artistically driven guy. And honestly, I had no idea if he could actually bring anything to the table. And I was also really new at the job. I was, was reading a script. I'm like, yeah, this is great, dude. Uh, and then I told my boss about it he's like well does this guy have equity like who is he mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like 
my boss was kind of thinking, yeah, this is just some random dude you met. But then I find out, hey, dude, what, what are you about? He's like, yeah, we've got $300,000. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. That's a big chunk of change. <laughs> there yeah, not you bad. go. And like, again, it, like you were saying before, it kind of slows your process down when you don't give like the information, you know, to someone who could bridge that relationship really like. You know, he could have had a jump start maybe even faster had you know mm-hmm. he had the three hundred thousand, had you know, all of that. So it's it's like I guess people can be weird with money though, you know, like talking about it. So maybe that's like a reminder too, like don't be shy to again say what you have and what you're you're working on funding wise. Yeah. I'd say it's mostly when you're talking to a sales agent, it's less about the art and it is more about the business. <laughs> yeah. The art is important. You need like good stuff. But uh, if you just send, you know, like three pitch decks that are, you know, very pretty and have good, you know, stories and stuff, that means absolutely nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have anyone attached or you don't give us all those other details about how far the project is in development. Mm-hmm. So. Good distinction, too, because um, we've been talking about this pitch competition that we mentioned to our listeners for a while. And like the people we were pitching to in this competition are just independent investors. So for them, you know, it depended on the person. Some there were three judges, you know, one was very interested in specifically the business side of it, like what a sales agent would be interested in. One was specifically interested in the story. So more the artistic side. So like you have to know who you're pitching to you know, whether it's investors that do care about the art versus sales that just care about the business. So that's an important distinction. Definitely. And I guess it depends on which, you know, sales agent you're going with. I'm sure everyone's a bit different, but the way that we do it at Concourse, uh, I read the scripts and I analyze them and basically determine whether or not the quality is good Mm -hmm. sometimes that doesn't even matter as much and it'll whoever is attached to it will be taken more into consideration Mm -hmm. but that other part the artistic side that that creates somewhat of an interest if like if it's not as good artistically but there are all these famous people attached my boss will put it on the back burner Mm -hmm. and if it gets more funding he might put some in Mm -hmm. as it's opposed to if it was really good artistically and it had a lot of funding then we want to set up a call with these people soon yeah that makes sense and that's also like it's good to know that if you don't get a yes right away it doesn't mean that it couldn't be a yes in the future if you can beef it up you know (laughs) with, with more to present Absolutely. There are always, you know, projects that I've read that I'm like, yeah, this is like a six out of 10, Mm -hmm. but you know, maybe there are rewrites coming and then that will change Mm. our interest levels based on that. Yeah, that makes sense. And what about as a team like us where I'm the director and I'm not a name, but we have let's say our, our, our script's an eight out of 10. Let's, let's, or like close to 10 out of 10. Like it's a pretty banging script. And I'm a new, new director, so I don't have all those big name credits, but we have some source funding. Would someone like us be taken into consideration at that point? Absolutely. 
There was a guy recently I had just tried to uh, set a meeting up with with my boss, and I'm not going to say his name, but it, he is like an anomaly because <laughs> he's 20 years old, oh. and he made this movie three years ago when he was 17, wow. and it is, yeah, seriously, you think you look at people like that and you're like, what the hell was I doing with my life? Oh yeah. Uh, we had a 15 year old filmmaker on our podcast. Shout out to Morgan. I was just going to um, say that. Yeah. yeah, She is crushing it doing like an, like just her knowledge of production. I'm just like, wow. At high school. <laughs> like it's crazy. Yeah. 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 So he, he shot this film three years ago at 17. You were saying. At 17, and for three years, he's been looking for a sales agent. And I'm thinking, how is he still not being represented? This is ridiculous. But but yeah, we got a meeting with him, and it went pretty well. I don't know what stage we're at now. That's why I can't really say his Mm -hmm. name. But (laughs) hopefully, that's it. I wonder if it did have something to do with the fact that he is so young, that, you know, the sales agents kind of passed him by thinking, oh, what could he have accomplished sort of thing, you know, because that is sometimes the mindset in <laughs> in show business is a lot of times, you know, the inexperience, people don't want to take the time to really look into what they can do, which is disappointing because sometimes people, I mean, you know, we always say like your first film's going to suck, but there are those people, like you said, the anomalies that like genuinely just they've got it and they do it from the get-go so it's always worth looking into it in my opinion yeah definitely you never know uh, who can be the next Stanley Kubrick Mm -hmm. Carolina I'm so glad we started using Vitafair should we tell the femfam about it absolutely Tessa I mean, we were able to upload our short film for less than $6, and we can charge whatever we want for a 24-hour rental. That's right. We could have charged 20 bucks per view if we wanted, but we decided to go with their micro-pricing model, which makes it a fair price for viewers and still makes us more money than the competitors that only pay out cents per hour of viewing instead of per rental. Plus, our audience doesn't have to pay for a subscription. It's really a win-win for both sides. Fair trade film monetization. Vitafair. Live in fairness with video. What scripts get you excited, Alex? Like what, what are, or what are signs that you feel like a screenwriter is hitting all the right points if someone's like in rewrites right now and they're like, Hmm, is this, am I ready to show this to a industry professional? Is there any tips on that that you would have? hundred percent. Yeah, there was, uh, I don't know, Tessa, if you ever knew Scott Frank. Mm -hmm. I did, yeah. And I took Uh, his storytelling class. (laughs) Oh, so so you know about the hero's journey then. (laughs) He, uh, Scott Frank uh, taught me and you know, everyone he teaches a screenwriting class to that the hero's journey is the vital components that you need to tell a story. And if it doesn't have some of those components or the vital ones, such as like a hero who has a compelling obstacle and is constantly moving forward in that world, if it doesn't have those and it's more of like a visual thing, or mm-hmm. it just drags and it's you find that the author is just having a conversation with their own ego 
and there's no conflict mm. or the conflict is not compelling enough or presented in such a way that the audience will be able to understand it from their own point of view, then I usually pass on those. Mm -hmm. Those are called bad scripts, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, but anything that you can read that you can see that this person is struggling to overcome something that, you know, is compelling yeah. to you yeah. to the point that you can envision yourself in that circumstance even. And I think that regardless of my opinion on the subject matter of the script, if I, if I find it compelling to read, I'll keep reading it and I'll give it, you know, a suggestion like, yeah, you should, uh, it should be shown to somebody mm -hmm. at least. No, that's a really, I think I love the examples you gave about the different variations that could be missing the whole hero's journey. And it just, uh, helps you kind of look at your script in a different way, if that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. if anyone's listening to that, it's like, to me, it's like, okay, I almost, I want to go reread and, and make sure like I'm hitting those those emotional and and um, the growth points of mm -hmm. the hero. And it's a little tricky too when maybe the hero isn't like, you know, your Superman kind of hero, if that makes sense. But just, I guess, tackling, like for us in our psychological thriller, the conflicts within, like that are maybe holding you back even more than the external conflicts. That's something that I, I could definitely just make sure that you know we're, we're hitting those points it's, it's really good I, I love that you said that really and I think tip. that that we did and and as a reminder to our listeners like it's okay to like depending on what kind of writer you are like if you just want to word vomit it out and then go back and make sure that you hit those points too or if you're the person that wants to outline like these are the points that need to be hit because I know for us like you had written like a, the full draft, Carolina, and we went back with like a beat sheet and we're like, okay, what is this point? Did we hit this point? Yeah. Is this this point? Like trying to figure all those things out. So, you know, you still want to hit all of those points for sure, but it's it's okay to like, however yeah. you write to get there, you know? And I, I'd love to piggyback on that. Like I tell people who have a hard time like doing a full beat sheet from the start, I did start with one with like a solid like beginning, middle, like what the the turning points were, and then the final image. Denouement and, before the end. Yeah, one of my favorite exactly, words. Exactly. <laughs> and I just being able to at least know where I'm going and then allow the inspiration to kind of flow because I, I just can't just like structurally have I can't outline pages and pages without at least knowing where it's kind of going, but I want to like, uh, I like to allow um, the creative, the inspiration to kind of hit me throughout. And then, yeah, to, then we went back after I kind of did that first throw up draft and then went in really like went in beat for beat and made sure that we had all those points. So, I mean, I just tell people, don't be afraid to, to kind of like be loose with it. If you're not as structured, like from the start, as mm -hmm. like some people are because some people are they can really just like right away nail a really detailed beat sheet and I'm impressed by those people I can't do that at this point <laughs> that's not and how my brain works it's also a matter of 
like you can't break the rules in, unless you know them kind of thing, right? Yeah. You know, because there are some really good films that are totally out there. They don't follow like the, the way that they're supposed to, quote unquote. But, you know, you can't, you have to know all of the things that you should hit in the hero's journey, in, you know, whatever you want to call it. Because if you're not going to hit one of those things, there has to be a reason why. So if you want to break those rules, you have to know what rules you're breaking and why, or else it's not going to be a structured story. And I mean, if you're going to go go make like art house movies that <laughs> don't make any sense, sure, fine. Like then you're going for the visuals or whatever. But but those typically won't sell like right, right away, at right. least, unless you're just, yes, the god. Unless you're <laughs> David Lynch, you're not exactly, going to sell exactly. a random art house movie. But yeah. So that's like, I think... Um, I forgot the writer that I I listened to. Um, damn, what's his name? It'll come to me. But he he says it right off the bat too. Like, don't be for your first film or if you're a first writer. You like you said, you need to know the rules to break them. So don't go for your first like art house film if you've never like written a full like hero's journey before. Yeah, I think. Would you agree with that? I think that, you know, like you all said, everyone is different in their process of writing. And I agree that most people's first draft of a script is just going to be a bunch of raw energy that needs to be rearranged and some stuff taken out, some stuff added, which is fine. And, uh, you know, every, everyone's hero is different. It doesn't have to be like a Superman type person. Like you can, you can look at dark heroes, like, even in that Joker movie, yeah. that's considered a, a hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And he is very far from a hero. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. No, I love that you said that. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, too, um, how, how a producer goes about, like, connecting with you guys and getting a meeting with you guys. And, I mean, you kind of told us what they should bring to the table or what's going to help their pitch, but just how, how does that whole process get started? Cause I think a lot of times um, we tend to learn about in class and share with our listeners, like, okay, like once you get a meeting with an investor, like this is what you need to present to them, but how do you find those investors? So like, how do they connect with you guys as a sales agency? From my understanding, a lot, we get a lot of submissions directly to our website and anyone can submit they can and it will show up in my inbox maybe (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, or my boss has a lot of relationships already right now with people that submit to him through mutual connections but if you really don't know anyone and you want to start the process kind of raw Invest in IMDb Pro mm-hmm. and then narrow your search results based on what you're looking for. Because that's how I find movies that I want to represent for distribution. I just go on IMDb Pro, hmm. look for the genres I like, look for, you know, stuff like that. And I reach out to them just by email because their contacts are there. Mm-hmm. I, you know, say who I am and say, hey, I'd love to watch your movie. Let's uh, see if we can set up a call. That's really cool because I feel like a lot of times as filmmakers and as actors, we have to deal with in this day and age, a lot of like scam stuff. 
that, you know, it's people reaching out, whether it's a sales agency, whether it's like an agent to represent you or whatever. And they're like, oh, I found you online and I want to, you know, have a meeting and stuff. And like, that does still happen. And it is still legitimate, but it also is scams that you have to watch out for. So it's good to know that legitimate sales agencies do find you on IMDb and contact you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many people are really doing it that way, honestly. And I do it that way because that's just the best way I can find them because I don't have all the big contacts. That's my boss. Yeah. But I find people who he was surprised that I found. Really? Like, um, and is it... Really? people like you were saying like you asked to see their movie so when you're seeing like exactly what you're seeing on imdb is their film poster and a log line and that's it like and that's enough to get you interested you know what i'm saying what um, is it that you know will lead you to actually hitting contacts <laughs> sending an email there are a few factors like the log line, the poster is important. Uh, I like to look at the, the filmmakers and even if they're not big names, I like to look at what they've worked on before, how long they've been doing it, any acolytes they might have, whether, you know, that's not the most important sure. thing, but. But, it definitely but that's why it's good it. to have your, I think we had um, with Carrie Nasina um, and IMDb for specific to really actors, but this translates to filmmakers too to really have you know your imdb up to date and mm -hmm. to list everything you're working on and if you listeners you haven't listened to that even if you're not an actor like i think there's some gems too for filmmakers to like things you wouldn't even think to list like we could list our we do we listed our podcast that's like a valid source so things like that where you can so really like show your producing skills and the audience you've built, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's, that's really important to know that, you know, yeah. sales agents are looking at you like that. And yeah. so it's important to have that up to date. Exactly. You want to uh, treat it like a resume almost mm -hmm. because that's how people will base their decision to contact you. Yeah. And it is too. I think we had mentioned this in that same episode with Carrie, um, that it's kind of a game you have to play too, like a thin line that you have to walk because you want to show all of the things that you can do. You know, you want to show you're a producer, you're a writer, you're an actor, whatever, whatever. But you also want to target it for what you, who you hope is looking for you. You know, like if you are mostly an actor, you want like that to be what people really see when they search on your page and like like for me personally like you know obviously Carolina and I are filmmakers but I'm really an actor first like that's what I'm pursuing the most so I make sure that like the credits they're really like seeing the most are acting but then you know we've acted in our own things so like it also says producer there or writer or whatever so it's just like being able to make sure people can see those things, but you know, it's targeted and it's just, there's ways to do it, but it's, it's complicated and it's annoying that you have to play that game and it would be nice if you could just list everything you do so people know, but you know, you want people to, but it's an agent that's looking for actors to represent, to see you're an actor first. That's what you care the most about when it's a sales agency looking for a movie, you know, so that's it's just targeting. Yeah. 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 So people look at my MDB for producing, <laughs> yeah. look at Tessa's for acting credits. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just like tied in there. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you know, mine's like, I've tried to make it more actor first, but I'm just too many, like now, like more so producer credits. And I'm like, it's okay. It is what it is. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I produce primarily now, for sure. I think being a jack of all trades like that is really useful. Mm -hmm. Oh, I and because agree. you. Mm -hmm. You use it like Tessa said, if you wanted to primarily pursue acting, that can be on your page and then you have your production company listed. So people who are interested in that can just click there and it, they can see that side of you. Yeah. That's, yeah and it's refreshing to hear that. Like you, yeah. you feel that way. You have, you don't have like some tainted perspective that that hinders you at all. I think being able to do more than one thing is so empowering and in whatever you are primarily focused on if you're a director mm -hmm. but you've acted before I mean that makes you a better director in my opinion like yeah. just knowing the actor perspective or if you're a producer and you've done directing and writing you know what they're up against creatively but also like you can handle the financial financial sides better than and be smarter to communicate so I love that you don't see that as like a red flag that you know if you're an actor but then you have a production company like what what you're trying to do you know what I mean <laughs> no I think it's a smart thing actually for actors to work as producers too mm -hmm. hell yeah um honestly I, especially yeah. now like it's so rare to see people that aren't a multi-hyphenate and I think that I mean we talk on the show all the time how that can benefit you but it just mm. you you kind of need to because it's very hard to just get your name out there as one thing, you know, unless you get really lucky and have some big break. Like you, you need to have multiple things that you can show for yourself. And it's dumb that it's sometimes a catch 22 of like, well, you know, an agency wants to see that you're really concentrating on acting and you have time for that before they rep you. They want to make sure you're not busy doing something else, but Honestly, I think that's kind of bullshit. I think that it's more I important was gonna say, to them. have all of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't care. Um, but I think it, it isn't a skill that everyone has, but I think everyone should at least be aware and like try and mm -hmm. try to build those skills, especially recently working with more directors. I'm like, oh God, I wish they could learn producing more. Like they just don't know or don't care what we're up against on the producer side. And that just like rolls into budget, safety, like everything that you're managing on set. Um, so I will just say like, I think it's super important to try. Yeah, to try and at least understand what the the role is doing and how that works so you can work together and not feel like this is a battle between producer, director, or actor, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that is the, the worst thing you just described. I, if you were just just wrapped a set like that. I wanted to kill myself. So <laughs> I, that was not I one of our projects, just saying. Yeah, not one of our projects. And I'm so grateful, like um, and I, I just being able to produce for other people now, I'm like, damn, like Tessa and I have it good. Like just being able to like, you know, she'll be the first to say she doesn't love producing and I don't love it a hundred percent of the time either, but the awareness and the organization and the being the able, the ability to communicate and know how to support teams is huge. And without that, it just turns into the 
the horror show Mm -hmm. (laughs) on set for like everyone. So I just, I just feel like we are, you know, it's funny because we feel like still fresh in the industry, but with the work we've done and how we operate, which could seem almost non-traditional, which is absurd to me um, because I think people, creatives, they can feel more free or not be super like, I don't want to say corporate, but professional in that way. And it's like, no, like if we want better pay, we want better, like, um, in, in a better, safer, healthier environment for our crew members, then you should be treating it professionally. Like anyone would at a corporate job, you should be communicating to that level that everyone feels like they're in the loop and there's things in place and, or systems in place. So I just, seeing how others are operating, I'm like, you know, doesn't I pretty good I feel like we we're gonna you know we're still got lots to learn I'm, I'm humbled to say that but in the least I feel like we wouldn't have those kinds of fires if that makes sense where it's just like uh, I I I'll say less <laughs> I'll say less for the moment but I I don't know if you are, know what I'm talking about Alex or have had experience or in that way where you're just like where is the communication here and where is like, you know, the organization in in the very least? You know, I haven't had too much experience on the set of films, but in terms of communication amongst producers, that can even be a big problem sometimes because I'll give you an example. Uh, My boss was really invested in this one project, uh, you know, maybe not financially 100%, but in terms of targeting actors and actresses that we wanted to work on this project because of the commercial potential that we believed it could have had. Mm -hmm. And we were talking to these people for a year. And then in the last meeting we had, this producer has basically just tried to dance around the fact that they don't have the funding they said they had, Mm. which we would have appreciated if you could have communicated that clearer, you know, a fucking year ago. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's one of those things that's like, as the producer, I'm sure they were thinking like, oh, well, maybe we can get the funding by the time we have to tell them this or whatever. But like, you got to be up front because like you can't just grab, you know, $20,000 out of the air. Like if you don't have the money, you have to tell people you don't have the money because maybe they can help you get the money, but they can't do their job without the money. So, well, that's that's an obstacle I was facing. I think the person has the money, but it was just always a struggle to like get it and I was just like, I hate these empty promises. Just tell me you can't pay this person in a week then and we'll fucking figure it out. But don't keep promising me every day that this is what you would show up with. Because it makes me look like an asshole for no reason. Because I'm just trying to do my job. I'm trying to pay people, you know? And then, you know, you're making me feel bad for constantly hounding you. But that's not my problem. Like, we're professionals. (laughs) Like, we need to, like, (laughs) pay people, deal with business. Um, so I can, I understand. Oh, she, if you can tell, I'm fresh hot of off of the set. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm ready to go. I've told that. So I'm like, I'm ready to scream into the mic for our podcast. Um, we'll have a private session one day. And like, you know, it's a, it was a great learning experience, but p- some people are like that. And you're like, God damn, like, I never, I, I just never want to be put in that position again. 
um, for sure. But, you know, you learn, you learn. And I think absolutely, like, just be, just be straightforward. I, I think it's just saves everyone <laughs> the headache and don't overpromise. promise. <laughs> yeah. Um, under promise, over deliver, baby. That's just business, you know? Um, so we've talked a lot about Concourse Media, which is the sales agency, but you also are a script reader for Coverfly. So tell us a little bit about that too and what that entails. Basically, I provide feedback for writers who are entering into competitions to raise money for their scripts. And I'm supposed to tell you, based on the criteria of the assignment, you know, what works, what doesn't work. And hopefully you don't hate my opinion. <laughs> sometimes, you know, even if you hate it, you know, it's good. <laughs> like Sometimes that feedback's hard to hear, but, you know, and you take everything with a grain of salt as well. But, you know, you're going off of like, and um, what's the word I want to say? Not an algorithm, but like, the certain things that you have to hit, you know, it's not just, oh, I think this script is good or bad. Like, you know, you're, you're telling people that these are the things that their story needs to have and it's missing it or whatever, you know? So it's, it's so invaluable to have that, like beyond just an opinion of, do you like this script of it's more of this is what works and what doesn't. And that's really valuable to have as a writer. Absolutely. I'll give you an example of a script that I didn't like, but I knew was good. Mm -hmm. And I knew people would like it who are into those kind of shows. Like this was a, a show about lawyers and I don't have anything against lawyers. I just, I'm not really into that kind of, you know, lawyer jargon driven show where everyone talks like they're hopped up on a bunch of cocaine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't really. <laughs> <laughs> not your cup of tea. That's not. Yeah. Yeah. Not my thing, but I recognized that the pacing was phenomenal, mm -hmm. that the stakes were always being raised dramatically, and the tension was high all the time. Mm. So I couldn't help but, you know, find that all these lawyers were pretentious assholes, in my opinion, but they were very interesting assholes. Yeah. So Reminds me I of my favorite like, show, Succession. It's like, everyone's an asshole, and the, the, but the, yes, the tension is there the whole time, and you're like, oh, it's so good. I love it, yeah. but I, I was going to—I was going to say—reminds me of anything Aaron Sorkin writes. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like. The best opinions that you're going to get are the people that understand. You know, this is going to sell, or this doesn't work, and this is why. As opposed to just, I like your script. I don't like your script. Absolutely. Anyone can, you know, appreciate a certain time period a script was written in, or the the aesthetic, but. You want someone who, for lack of a better term, is not afraid to hurt your feelings and be kind of an asshole to yeah. you, which, you know, is personally, I still need to find that line where I'm not being a complete asshole and telling them, all right, you need to completely redo this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as long as you can something. tell someone why, because I, we had run into that before that someone just didn't like our script and was like, you know, I would start from scratch okay, we can handle that feedback, but why? You know, what is it that makes you want us to start over? Like, is there anything there that you like or is this just not your cup of tea? And so, you know, yeah, I, I think that's totally legitimate feedback if you can back it up as to why. 
Yeah, absolutely. But even then, like, you know, sometimes uh, people just can't accept to themselves that they've written something that's not good. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's because of one little nitty, like nitty gritty comment that, you know, me or another script reader will have made that makes the the writer completely devalue the whole opinion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's always people on both sides of the spectrum have something to learn all the time. Yeah, totally. It's a lot of like just shedding your ego, (laughs) not letting yourself get, you know, upset with that stuff, but it's hard. Is the process that, because I've used Coverfly to like submit scripts to screenplay competitions, but can you submit directly for a, a review and you pay for that review from someone like yourself? Is that how that works? Yeah, pretty much. It's also, it's a double ed- it does both of those things, actually. Okay. I give you feedback, and if I place your script high enough in you know, a ranking of 1 out of 10, you can get in front of producers right away. Oh, shit. Nice. Nice. And then as someone, like, producers as ourselves who are also, like, I have screen- we have a screenplay, can we, like, co-produce it with another producer that's like I've seen multiple producers attached before on a project so would that hinder our also relationship to our project am I making sense (laughs) yeah yeah you're asking pretty much if there's producers who have a script and they put it on some kind of screenplay coverage service that can get them put on a certain kind of list that gets them in front of other producers yeah that's totally fine. You know, I think you can't have enough producers. You can always have more money. Mm-hmm. I agree. That was something too that I learned a lot on this last disaster shoot that, you know, having more <laughs> more producers, um, working with a, a I had a producer who worked with me who was actually phenomenal. She was amazing and saved Grace. Um, but she was saying too, like she normally on her projects has like a couple producers and then like five line producers. Um, just to like keep things flowing well and like organize. So it's, I love that you said that because that is true. <laughs> like I, I've seen it now and I'm like, okay, it makes sense. Um, well, it's like, you know, you look at the big like actual like studio projects that have millions of dollars, you know, they've got so many different kinds of producers, the yeah. executive producer, the line producer, UPM, exactly. like all that stuff. And there's a reason for that. So yeah, but that's good to know that like you can still keep your producer you can still be a producer attached to your own project. That's just like, I'm, you know, as someone who's always like protective of, you know, our creative IP and like what we're doing. I think it's, it's good to know that you don't lose that or that doesn't hinder you in that way. So that's more so why I was asking. Yeah. It doesn't hinder you at all. It, you know, if you get more producers like executive producers, that's, you know, it's just more money you can get. And yeah. Um, do more stuff with with the film if that is your intention or not but you will still you know retain your your place as you know the first producer who got the writers and everyone together and the actors and all that you if you package that film Mm -hmm. just knowing people that's like what they say in Hollywood it's about who you know Mm -hmm. and sometimes it really is because if you just introduce two people you have a producer credit now yeah that's a really good point. No, thank you for, for saying that. Something we should definitely consider too. 
But Alex, what gets you excited? If we were to pitch our script to you, what are you like most excited or genres that you love? I, I'm really biased now. I love thrillers mm-hmm. and psychological thrillers. Oh my God, our if script. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah, it's a psychological thriller based um, set in a sci-fi world. No, what else? What else gets you really excited in a story? Uh, I'm probably going to be repeating myself here. But basically just how dire the protagonist's circumstances are. I want to see someone who is falling into hell. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Really like strong, like the high stakes of of their journey, like in that sense. Whether it be physical or, you know, psychological. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen a, a movie called The Machinist mm-hmm. with Christian Bale. Yeah. To me, yeah, that's that's an intense struggle that can, you know, have the same levels of intensity as a physical conflict mm-hmm. where if someone had a gun to your head and is telling you that you have to follow them for the rest of the night, <laughs> like in Collateral, another psychological thriller where Tom Cruise plays a hitman and he abducts Jamie Foxx's uh, taxi. Mm-hmm the taxi driver and he's like all right i like you and you also accidentally witnessed this murder so you're gonna be my driver for the night unfortunately <laughs> yeah <laughs> nice. they're both yeah anything that where the character is basically gonna die or if they don't solve this problem yeah that stuff is really good to me it makes sense because that's compelling like that's what's gonna tell the most exciting story and again it's not to say that the other stuff can't sell like the little slice of life movies i personally like those a lot but like i'm like "Eh." well that's the thing i mean (laughs) like a compelling story you can almost guarantee is gonna sell the other stuff like some audiences are gonna love it but it might not be a broad you know popular thing i i'd like to even interject um that like with our story and that's something that I made a choice with with our circumstance is it is like definitely like the the high stakes come over on a mental like overtaking or death you can say capacity because I didn't want our antagonist to just be the stereotypical murderer so I didn't want it to be in a death like a physical death if that makes sense Um, so that's where I was trying to find the stakes to be high enough to where it felt like what you're speaking of, but without actually being, you know, the stereotypical psychopath murder. Like slasher kind of. Like, yeah, because I feel like that's always how, um, we, we touch on themes of narcissism, like how those kind of tend to like a psychopath, narcissist it's so easy to paint them as like, okay, it started out with the murder and then you're like figuring that out. But I feel like in reality, when we come in contact with people in our lives or we'll have relationships in our lives with people like that, it isn't like they're just outwardly killing people or, you know, having these very clear signs. It could be just in the way they are trying to take control and the way they communicate. So my, if you read our script, you'll see it's kind of more dialogue heavy. That's kind of my style, but that there's these like those kind of probing and, and ways that then with the technology attached to it, which you will learn about, there's that mental like overtaking and feels like, you know, 
that loss of the protagonist's loss of control is what really drives her to feel like she's going to not die, but die. Like, you yeah. know, having someone to overtake her in that way. Oh yeah, my gosh. but we will definitely connect more via email on how to actually further connect with this after the episode. Um, but for our listeners, I want to wrap up and just, first of all, thank you so much, Alex, for coming on. This has been super helpful for us. <laughs> so I'm sure it's also yeah. been super helpful for our listeners who are going through the same kind of stuff. Um, is there any social media or, you know, how to, how um, our listeners can get in contact with you or you said like for concourse to submit through the website, any, anything like that that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, it, it, thank you for having me on. It's been a really good time. Uh, I I would say if the listeners want to get in contact, uh, check our social media page, Concourse Media. We have Instagram, Facebook. I think we have Twitter. I should know this, but I don't have Twitter. <laughs> and uh, the best way for writers uh, to get uh, noticed by us is just to submit through the website you know, I've had a couple people send me LinkedIn messages. Uh, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's, and in terms of, you know, if someone wants to get experience as a, as a writer, I think reading is also the best way to do that. Yeah. And consider doing screenplay analysis for a part-time gig or something like that and submit to organizations like Coverfly and see if you can, as a writer, find some, some good feedback there or see if you can do something as a reader too, because that will give you the best experience as a writer, in my opinion. Yeah. I love that. That I mean, is like, great advice. Yeah. It's really great for, advice. For our actor listeners, it's kind of like, you know, they say, become a, a reader for auditions for casting directors because it gives you the practice it lets you see what the you know behind the scenes and everything so it's the same kind of deal yeah absolutely it could definitely help actors too because the more an actor understands what a narrative is I think they can get kind of get out of their own skin and out of their own heads and realize that this is like a moving thing yeah so not just about you, even though you're coming from that perspective of what are what are my needs and goals, you can, I guess, maybe lose some of those nerves mm-hmm. by just examining the bigger picture, realizing that everyone is in this game, too. Yeah, hell totally. yeah, absolutely. I think that's such great advice. And and yeah, the I was just gonna say too, like reading not only scripts, but would you say like books like uh anything sure anything anything uh that's a story i think will do it Mm -hmm. you know even comic books graphic novels actual novels you know that's awesome yeah that's great yeah well thank you again alex so much this is super helpful for us um dude thank you thanks for listening to femregard podcast If you like what you hear, tune in every Friday for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals. We can only grow with your support, so please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also join the FemFam on Patreon. For more on us, check us out at femregard.com.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 